the narrative that we tell ourselves really can shape our lives. And the more that we can narrow down what's the facts of what's going on and what's the actual narrative, the more that we can change that narrative to build our own confidence. And the more confidence we have in ourselves, the more positive that narrative becomes. This is Sweat the Details, a collaboration with Under Armour and iHeartRadio, a sports and training podcast made for women by women that puts our success and challenges at the front and center. I'm Monica Jones. I'm a fitness coach, boxer, business owner, and UA athlete. And I'm Meg Boggs. I'm a powerlifter, author, body positivity advocate, and mother. Every episode, Monica and I will talk to athletes, trainers, and experts and learn more about how the body and mind work together in training and competition. Today, we're talking with Kansas City Chiefs coach Katie Sowers. Katie is the first woman to coach in the Super Bowl. Katie didn't think coaching football was a career possibility because she had never seen women in those roles. But her drive to break barriers and her passion for the sport led her to work with some of the best teams in the country. Before becoming a coach, Katie played football for the Women's Football Alliance and the U.S. Women's National American Football Team, which won the International Federation of American Football Women's World Championship in 2013. So awesome. I'm really excited to learn about her coaching experience and how she is paving the path for a new generation of women getting into the sports industry as coaches and players. Katie is an absolute baller, and I am so excited for everyone to hear this conversation. When it comes to women in sports, I just feel as if we're we're still so behind, not only in the respect for what a woman's body can do, what a team of women can do together, but also how entertaining it truly is if the marketing were to match, if we would put the funding behind it, if we had more women in these positions to set the example for younger girls. I mean, I tried CrossFit for the first time in 2015 and I saw a black woman leading a class to see a woman there doing it and a black woman, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to try this out. Same with any other sport that I've approached. It's from seeing another woman do it. Yeah. It's that representation. You know, if you never see anybody who looks like you doing the things that you love, you just assume, okay, well, that's not something that I'm allowed to do. It's not something that I'll ever succeed at. So you just give up on it. And you know, women like Katie are stepping up and saying, no, that's not that's mm-hmm. not how we're going to do it anymore. You know, it translates to anything. Like you said, you saw a black woman leading. I've seen mm-hmm. a plus size woman leading. And let me tell you, it changed the game for me. It made me realize that there are possibilities for someone like me. And you know what? There may not be very many right now, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that other plus size women get that opportunity. So I'm just I'm so pumped for this conversation. Yes. And you know what's wild is even when we get our foot in the door because of that woman, we unite. We have to stick together and band together. And it makes us stronger. I'm totally moved by this conversation and I'm very, very excited. So what do you say, Meg? You ready to get into Katie's interview? Let's get it. What's going on, everyone? Today, we have the incredible Katie Sowers here with us, Kansas City Chief Coach and former offensive assistant coach for the San Francisco 49ers. And let me just say, we are so excited for you to be here, Katie. Welcome to Sweat the Details. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're hanging in there. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. We are honored to have you. This is going to be a dope conversation. Yes, we are. We're pumped. 
So I just want to start from the beginning. Can you just walk us through your journey into football? How did your passion for the game begin and when did you start playing? Yeah, you know, when I was little, it was weird because my dad never played football. My mom was never involved in football. Uh, and I, I truly think it was when I watched the the movie, The Little Giants, which is, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the best movies oh, yeah. of all time. And I remember watching Icebox and seeing her play football with the boys. And I was like, I can be like Icebox. I mean, every journal I have, I'm talking about football. I, I talk about going home, playing football, calling up all the neighbor boys that I can find uh, and and seeing if they wanted to come out and play. And so it wasn't your typical young girl upbringing, if you want to talk yeah. stereotypes. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Uh, but that's really where it began. Wow. That is so cool. I mean, I, I think a lot of us can recall a time where we've watched a movie like that as young girls and been like, hold on, she's kind of scrappy. And I like that. And I feel right? like I kind of relate to that. That's really awesome. So was it always your plan to actually work in the football industry? Like what was the moment when you decided to turn your passion into a career? You know, when I was growing up, I never envisioned myself coaching football. One of the reasons was it, I just never saw it as an opportunity. It never even crossed my mind. And I think that can translate to so many things, whether it be mm -hmm. a female being president or mm -hmm. if you don't see it, you don't necessarily know that you can strive for it. I knew I wanted to coach. Uh, and so when uh, I was out playing with the boys, like I always did, and I remember the day that I felt like the boys were just getting bigger than me. And I remember this hit that hurt so bad. And I just realized, I'm like, I, I can't play with these guys anymore. And it never crossed my mind to think about coaching football because the opportunity didn't didn't feel like it, it truly existed. So I, I kind of moved my passion to basketball. And, you know, I, I thought I was going to be happy with that. And it was actually a course of... Um, you know, what some people might see as failures or some people might see as mistakes that actually led me to where I am today. And one of those being actually, you know, I was athletic director for the city of Kansas City. I was just trying to figure out really what I wanted to do with my life and wanted to continue coaching. Uh, and at the time I was playing women's tackle football that I had found, you know, and that's a whole another story in itself. But <laughs> Uh, I still, even at that point, didn't realize that I could coach football, you know, and make a living off of it until I saw Becky Hammond coaching in the mm -hmm. NBA. And after that moment, I posted something on my Instagram. I said, NFL, I'm coming for you. Oh, that's yes. Awesome. And I, I knew without a doubt I was going to coach in the NFL. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So, I mean, it was something that kind of had to evolve for you to realize that it could be a possibility. Yeah. It was a lot of doors slamming in my face, to be honest. Yeah. You know, one um, story that uh, I I like to tell just because of um, I think we all have that moment where something feels like we're striving for and then the door closes. And I think we often too much we, we're trying to get back into that door after it's closed and mm -hmm. we miss so many opportunities mm -hmm. that have opened up for us. So true. And, you know, one of those was when I was at Goshen College, which is a, a small Mennonite college at the time, they didn't even have uh, professors who were uh, could be openly gay. And I was gay. I wasn't necessarily out because uh, we weren't really supposed to be out. And uh, as I 
you know, graduated. Well, I thought I was going to graduate in four years, had to take some extra credits. So I was done with my basketball eligibility and I decided this is where I can start getting my, you know, my resume for being a coach in basketball. So I asked my coach if, you know, I could be a volunteer assistant. And he told me that because of my lifestyle, I was no longer wanted around the team. Oh my gosh. And so it was that moment that I, you know, I thought my basketball coaching career had ended before it even mm-hmm. began. Uh, but what I realized was that moment led me to playing women's tackle football and looking for more, which then, you know, continued to to lead on my path. Wow. It just, my blood just like boils. Sometimes we need that no though, right? Like the no pushes us in the right direction and it, it sucks, right? You're like, I'm so sick of hearing no and I'm sick of hearing that who I am to my yeah. core is not what is fitting for trying to volunteer my time and trying to make a team better and trying to, you know, contribute. But look at us now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ready to send a thank you note oh, to him yeah. at some point and yeah. yeah, and thank him for that. <laughs> so I know that you um you represented the US internationally as part of the women's national tackle football team. So could you tell us more about this experience? How did you feel representing your country in an international championship? Yeah, that was probably one of the best experiences of my oh, life. My Not only had I never even been outside of the country, you know, I was a small town girl from Kansas, never been outside of the country. And here I am traveling to Finland with Team USA. And there's a funny story behind me actually trying out for Team USA. I remember actually telling my twin sister I wasn't going to try out uh, because I didn't think I was going to make it. And I think a lot of people can relate where it's like you'd rather um, just pass up an opportunity than fail. Mm-hmm. And I was I was oh, really yeah. at that point afraid to fail. And she convinced me to try out. And lo and behold, I become a starter and actually one game become a game MVP where I had five interceptions in one game uh, when we played Germany uh, on July 4th. That's incredible. But I remembered thinking back as the national anthem was playing, I was looking at all the helmets that matched. And, you know, in my journal entries, I had I had dreamed of wearing matching helmets, wearing matching jerseys, of being on what I called a real football team. And I was standing there just looking at all of these women that were playing a sport that I dreamed of playing when I was younger. Uh, and it was an incredible moment. That's so inspiring. I know. Rather pass up an opportunity than fail, I think, is so common. It's wild. So after being a tackle football player, you shifted to coaching. And did you feel your relationship with the sport changed when you went from being a player to a coach? I always thought that my transition out of playing was going to be difficult. Uh, But what I found was I was born to be a teacher. I was born to be a coach. I was, I was, I just have this passion inside of me. And so it feels like I didn't even miss a beat with that transition. Now that I have the opportunity, you know, whether it be coaching my flag football girls at, at Ottawa University, which is, you know, amazing in itself. And that's something I'm so proud of, um, or whether it be coaching NFL players, it's a passion that I have to just make them better. And it feels like I, I in a way, I'm still playing myself because I'm seeing myself in them. Oh, that's so true. I hadn't thought about it that like that. 
Kitty, you've broken so many barriers for female leadership in a male-dominated sport, which is like incredible. What do you think has made you so successful in navigating those spaces and, you know, rising as a woman coach in the NFL? I think the thing that's really helped me within my career is it seems simple, but is reflection. And mm. and I when I say that, I remember, so I, I keep journals of everything throughout my life. Um, and I, I try to keep it up to date as possible, but I'll go back and I'll read those journal entries. And I have a journal entry where I was laying in bed. This was, you know, maybe when I was about 20 years old and it basically was a note to myself. And I, I told myself, you know, here I am laying in bed. I have no idea what my future looks like. I feel lost, but I feel this sense of hope and I feel this sense of something's coming you know, that that is going to be worth it. And I told myself, you know, I hope when you read this, you're happy. And if you haven't found happiness, go out and find it. And so I think, you know, that by keeping journal entries, by continuing to remind myself of how far I've come, being able to look back on those, it's helped me to have a better perspective on my life, um, the way I come into situations, the way I attack problems. It's really changed me. And so that I think I, I hold that to be um, a big factor in a lot of my success. That's incredible. Yes. Oh, dear Diary is the story of yep. my life. <laughs> that is so awesome. I mean, to have those entries to remind you of where you were at that mm -hmm. point, to be able to speak to yourself in the future is, I mean, it's next level. It is such a, a game changer when it comes to, you know, fighting for yourself, especially in a place where there's not a lot of women, where there just aren't that many women leading the way just yet, to be that, it means you've really got to have those type of practices on lock, which is incredible. Absolutely. So right now, you're currently volunteering as a coach for the flag football team at Ottawa University. So can you tell us more about your experience and passion for flag football? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is another situation that just kind of happened by a path that I didn't expect. And, you know, when things ended in San Francisco, I remember coming home and I, I honestly, I had no idea what was next. And my twin sister had just got this head coaching job for the Ottawa Braves, which happens to be the same conference that my dad used to coach basketball in back in the day. And my dad passed away about a year and a half ago. And so, you know, her getting that head coaching job um, soon after he passed away, it was almost like he played a part in that. And so I came home and, and it was just supposed to be me going to visit practice and talk to the girls. Uh, and it ended me never wanting to leave. Uh, and I saw these young women who never thought they'd have a chance to play football in college. And here they were on college scholarships for the first time ever playing football. And to see their passion, to see their drive, uh, I, I had never been a part of a team with that much love for the game. Mm. And I knew that, you know, I was jealous in a way of what they had. I wish I had those opportunities, but I knew that we had to do more. And, and in a way, it was a time for me to use the platform, you know, the lights that, that were shining on me and, and actually turn them over to them because they are game changers. They are the first ever national champions in the sport of flag football. And, you know, I see flag football being an Olympic sport. I see it being a game changer for women. Mm, I love that. That's such a powerful yes. moment. 
That's so great. How was your coaching experience with the women's flag football team? How has it been different from coaching in the NFL? There's, you know, there's a lot of differences. Um, one of the main ones being, you know, with the NFL, you're, you're working with a lot of players where they're getting paid to play. Mm-hmm. Um, they, that's their living. Yeah. That's their way of life. Um, with these young women, they don't pay. I mean, they, they don't get paid to play. They play purely for the love. Most of them are spending about $30,000 a year to go to, to school. And that's, you know, with a scholarship, Um, you know, there's just not a lot of opportunities for scholarships. And and so you see them coming to small town Ottawa, Kansas, from places like Las Vegas, from places like Florida, from all over the country. And you just see them become a family. Winning that national championship that was hosted by the Falcons was probably a better and and more fulfilling moment for me than even the Super Bowl. Oh wow. Why do you think that is? Because I I I felt like winning that national championship was the start of something amazing for women. Mm-hmm. And my time in the NFL is great. It's a great platform. It's great visibility for women, but I believe that women deserve a field of their own, a league of their mm-hmm. own, a team of their own. And this is the start of that. Well, you're paving the way for sure. I, I hope so. <laughs> we have a large gap to bridge. You know, I'm, I'm reading the studies mm-hmm. and just to understand the fact that when you're playing in the NFL, you're making upwards of $3 million. Mm-hmm. And we have women out here who love their sport and want to play and pay to play in their leagues. So to be able to see that championship take you guys to this point is really inspiring. And I am loving that we're keeping this conversation going. Yeah, I actually saw some facts. You can't quote me on this, but I believe it's true that uh, there is a backup quarterback in the NFL that makes more per year than every woman in the WNBA. Mm. Oh makes. my gosh. I don't doubt it. And so that reality in itself is... Um, it says everything we need to know. <laughs> yep. And and a lot of people can say it's because of the, you know, people aren't interested in watching women in sports. But the reality is, look at the, the USA women's national soccer team. When people invest in getting to know the players that they're trying to market, when you put marketing money into those things, people invest in those those teams. And if it's not put into women's teams, people won't invest in them. Absolutely. And when you think about those who really want to invest and follow up and watch these women play, it's women. So can we find the importance of us wanting to see each other perform in sport? Exactly. You know, absolutely. Well, Katie, how would you describe your leadership and coaching style? You know, how is it different from traditional coaching styles? You know, I, I would say I'm I'm very player oriented when it comes to my coaching style. Um, you know, you can think of authoritarian, you can think of all these different styles. I'm not going to be the person that goes out and yells just to yell. And so it's about, you know, what is going to make these players the best player on and off the field that they can be, um, whether it be, you know, with my flag football women, we actually wrote a letter we had them write a letter to themselves in five years, and in five years, we're going to send it to them. And things like that, I think, not only improve themselves as people, make them more reflective of who they want to be, who they you know, think that 
they're going to be in five years, but also it makes them closer uh, when they get on the field and when they perform on the field. And, and we've seen that translate so much. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, I can only yeah. imagine your players opening up that letter in five years and thinking of you, thinking of their teammates, thinking of that, that moment, that's, that's groundbreaking. That's so exciting. So Katie, how can we increase diversity in sports leadership positions? I know it's a big one. Well, I think uh, changing the way in which we as a society operate is going to be foundation, changing the way we raise our children. I think it's not something that we can just tell, you know, the, the, the white straight males to do and all automatically they do it. I think it's something that we have ingrained in our society when we have, you know, these aisles that we think are dedicated to girls. And then we see these aisles that are dedicated to boys. And Mm -hmm. we have this, this view of how we treat different types of people based on how they look, based on their gender. Um, And until we can change that viewpoint, uh, like my niece who I didn't realize we were actually creating a bias in her when all she knew growing up was girls playing football. She would come to our games, my twin sister and I, and it wasn't until she was about four years old, we were driving down the road and we were talking about the boys that were playing in, in some park and, and we pointed them out and she said, boys don't play football. <laughs> and we had to explain oh, wow. to her that boys and girls play football. And, and my niece for those of you who don't know her, is one of the most stereotypical girly girls. Without any force from her family, she likes pink. She loves to dance. She wants to do everything, you know, that that you would stereotype a girl. But she believed that only girls played football, even though she had no interest in it. Because it's what she was Um, seeing, you know. Yep, exactly. That just shows. Yep. There's we have a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, my, my daughter's three and a half and she's not really into girly things. She's very into dinosaurs and trucks and she wants to be throwing balls around and kicking balls around. And that's just who she is. And I go into stores and stuff and I see the difference. Like I didn't really pay attention to it until I became a mom. Mm. And now I'm like, wow, it's very obvious having a daughter who's not into those things. So, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of unconscious bias that goes mm-hmm. on um, in this world. And and the only way to change it is at the ground level and changing our mindset and the way we raise our children so that they can appreciate diversity for what it is and, um, mm-hmm. and, and they don't see past, you know, their own biases. Absolutely. There's absolutely a, a mindfulness to it. And also, you know, a lot of these biases aren't created with malintent. It's just kind of mm-hmm. our our default, right? And it's definitely like how it's always yeah. been. You know, and it's so important yeah. to have people even having conversations. We can't really discount the importance of just an everyday, day-to-day conversation. It doesn't always have to be a huge gesture. Yeah, absolutely. So what you know, advice would you give to women who are starting to play a male dominated sport, but are worried, you know, about like what we were talking about earlier about the prejudices and the stereotypes? What advice would you give those women? I think the first thing I would give, uh, I guess this would apply to anybody is know the narrative that you're telling yourself, know what the facts are and have confidence in yourself. I think we often get in situations where we feel like we're the underdog. and, And more often than not, if we feel like that, we probably are. But 
more often than that, I think we are telling ourselves a narrative that could be different than what the narrative actually is. Because we're already coming in doubting ourselves, we find ourselves if someone's quiet or if someone is treating us different, we think maybe we're not doing our job. Maybe we're not as good as, uh, you know, they think we might be or that imposter syndrome. And the narrative that we tell ourselves really can shape our lives. And the more that we can narrow down what's the facts of what's going on and what's the actual narrative, uh, the more that we can change that narrative to build our own confidence. And the more confidence we have in ourselves, the more positive that narrative becomes. And the more we actually take the facts and, and take them for what they are. So I would say continue to build confidence. Stop worrying about what other people are, are thinking about you. Because when you're spending your energy thinking about what other people are thinking about you, you're wasting time. You could be bettering yourself. So, you know, I guess to make it short, it, it's really gain confidence and continue just to build on what you can improve on and forget the outside noise. Facts. I love that. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can end it right there. Right that there. was exactly what I, I needed know. to go and get into my next session. So do you have any advice for people who are not yet pro but want to grow in their sport while juggling other responsibilities like studying or working? Yeah, it's all about time management, but it's also about keeping a healthy mindset. And I think we think that we need to actually physically rest, which we do. But we also need to emotionally rest. We need to be Mm -hmm. able to take that time, find that time, whether it be with family and not just going and and being with family and thinking about other things, going with family and being present. The more present you are in each moment, the more that I've found I've been able to juggle multiple things. Uh, Instead of thinking about what's next, think about what's now and be the best person you can be in that now moment. Um, and it will make you more energized for the next moment. Agreed. So true. And being your authentic self, true, you know, is a huge factor. I know you talked about earlier that just horrible moment that you experienced um, when you came out or you were trying to come out. Um, a lot of NFL players are just starting to come out. And as a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, what do you think this moment could mean, you know, for football specifically and sports more broadly? I think, you know, having a player actually come out was was a game changer. It, it forces a conversation of, mm-hmm. you know, the way that we talk, the way that we treat each other, the, the things that we might say that we don't even think about. Like if a coach is inviting players and their family to a team party and they're saying, your wives are invited, that is no longer something that, that we should say that's not your partners your Mm -hmm. you know your significant others Mm -hmm. you you can't assume that every man on the team has a wife so it it changes the game with just the language we use on a daily basis Mm. that's so true inclusive language um, can make people feel comfortable make people feel like they're accepted like they are part of something and I could see how that even that one little sentence could probably trigger somebody who is still trying to decide if that's a, a moment that they feel like they are comfortable doing. The language we use daily, there are people that are analyzing whether someone is safe to uh, be themselves around. And, uh, you know, small comments like that can make the difference. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, even in such a masculine-dominated or masculine-represented sport, sometimes it's just the default. It's not necessarily an attempt to be uninclusive, but 
we right. could all use that mindfulness. Yeah, sometimes it just takes awareness. Yeah, and it's being, you know, if you're the person hearing that, um, it's being understanding and seeking first to understand. And, and you know, this idea of hatred will not cure ignorance. And I continue to, to say that. Yes. I, I believe it. So the more that we uh, we hear someone that might say something wrong, or, hate is never going to cure that ignorance. The only thing that will cure that is education, communication. It can be, you know, using comedy, using um, mm -hmm. jokes to help make that person feel like, you know, it's okay to talk to me. It's okay to, to try to be inclusive, even if you're saying the wrong thing, as long as we're talking and, and it doesn't just become locker room talk. Because when it becomes locker room talk, yeah. you don't have a chance to make a change. So true. Yes, so taking that conversation outside the locker room and really making an attempt to be mindful. So powerful. Do you have any advice, Katie, or, and resources for women who wanna explore a career as football coaches like you? Yeah, I think you yourself is going to be, first of all, your biggest resource. I think we often get in the mindset of we're going to be given the information we need, we're going to be handed everything. Uh, but that's not the case. You have to make sure that what are you doing to hold yourself accountable to make sure that if and when that opportunity comes up, because it could come up at any time, you never know when you're meeting someone that's going to change your life. Uh, but when that opportunity comes up, are you going to be ready? Uh, and also just putting yourself in opportunities that it, even if it's not your dream job, me coaching fifth grade girls basketball led me to the NFL. It wasn't my dream job, but I knew that I had to show up every day as the best coach. Yes. And it just so happened that I ended up mm -hmm. meeting someone uh, that really put me on my path to the NFL. So showing up regardless of what it is, um, being the best version of yourself and, and holding yourself accountable to know more and do more. Yes, if they showed up that day and you were halfway there, are really not interested yep. in the work you'd be doing, it would make a huge difference in where you ended up. Absolutely. So Kitty, what's next for you in your career? Any projects or games you're excited about that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, so right now for the year, I'm, I'm gonna be working with the women's flag football team at Ottawa University. I was hired just for the year as uh, a director of athletic initiatives and strategies. Um, for really making Ottawa University in small town Kansas a hub for women in sports and women in flag football. Uh, I'm going to push to get Kansas to recognize flag football as a high school varsity sport. Nice. I think there's so many women out there that, that can do that. And then um, from there, you know, the NFL is still an opportunity for me that um, we'll see if that, if, if, it's the right choice uh, when that time comes. It's hard for me to picture leaving my uh, Ottawa Braves, uh, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens. And and whatever path is meant for me, that's the path I'll be on. I love it. Exciting stuff. So we spoke about this earlier, but oftentimes women's football players have to pay hundreds of dollars to fund their teams and pay for their spot in a league. Unlike the male players who get millions of dollars a year, female players don't get a salary, so they must find other jobs to support themselves. Katie, do you have any thoughts on this? How can we achieve a better work model for female football players? And what can we do to make women's football more popular among football fans? Yeah, that was one of the most frustrating things when I was playing. I remember working um, I was coaching and I was athletic director and I was trying to play football and I was a volunteer general manager for our team yep. at the same time. Um, 
but here there were these men making millions. So in order to change that, first of all, as I said, the society as a whole needs to view women in sports differently. But also, um, we need to continue to do what we're doing now in building the foundation for women to be able to play on teams at a younger level to raise mm-hmm. the game. So they're not just starting out and then we're trying to sell this product of all these women who are playing football for, for the first time. If you go and watch these teams, these young girls who have been playing flag football their entire lives, it's some of the best football you will see. And when you get that product, you can then develop them into professional athletes that the game is exciting. The, the game is full of, of, you know, talented players. And that's what's going to really move that game forward. Yes. Start them young. Yeah, Create more opportunities for young female athletes. And get them in high schools. That's got to yes. gotta get flag football. Because I know I didn't play soccer in middle school because we didn't have a soccer program in my small school mm-hmm. uh, in high school. And so if people don't see it as an opportunity, they're not going to pursue it. Um, so it has to be an opportunity. Only time I remember flag football was in like elementary, and it was by far my favorite thing that we ever did. And it yes. was, it made me so it, sad yes, when it, it was just the best. it just ended. You know, it's like you yeah. get older and then it just goes away. And I was like, that was like, my favorite thing to do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I hid during the mile. Really, <laughs> I hid during the mile, but I was there for that flag football. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Under Armour sweat the details. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to Sweat the Details. We are going to shake it out just a little bit, all right? So usually on the show, we'll take a segment and lighten the mood and have some fun with our guests. So Katie, as we play this game, it's going to be called First Things First. And we are going to ask you some questions and you can kind of just rapid fire them out about your experience in the game and and any of your kind of preferences on game day. Okay. All right. Let's do this. All right. I'll kick us off. Who was the first athlete that inspired you to pursue football? Deion Sanders. Okay. Shout out to Deion. Why is that? I wore his jersey nonstop. It was when he was a Cowboys player. You know, I was a huge Cowboys fan. I even in elementary school, I acted like I was Deion Sanders for one of my speeches that I gave. Nice. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Oh, I had an Emmett jersey that I wore every night. Emmett Smith. All right. (laughs) Love it. Yes. All right. Ready? What team was your first professional game against? It was against the Washington football team. You know, not at the time, different name. Mm -hmm. But that was the first preseason game that I played as a coach professionally. Now, if we're talking women's tackle football, it was against a team in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm. Is there anything special about those games that you remember that are just like, I could never forget that? Well, the Fort Wayne game, I remember, you know, there was a a starting linebacker who was going off to the Army, and I was late to the team, and I didn't have a spot, so I told the coach I I wanted to play linebacker, and he, like, laughed at me, and I'm like, no, I really do, and he said, okay, and I ended up, you know, being an All-American linebacker that year. Oh, wow. Really put your cool. foot down. Yeah. yeah, I was no, like, I'm, no, I'm doing this. Yeah. That's what's happening. <laughs> I don't know any better. You know, I'm going to, I don't know that I'm not the right fit for that, but I ended up making it work. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what was your first win as a professional football player? It was actually my first game in Fort Wayne. Our team, the Michigan Mayhem, we actually ended up that first year going to the quote unquote Super Bowl, which was in New Orleans. Uh, we 
uh, ended up losing to the St. Louis Slam uh, in New Orleans. What was your first win as an NFL coach? My first win as an NFL coach did not come until our game against Houston. We were 0-9 starting out when I was a full-time coach with the 49ers. And I remember us winning that first game. Actually, I think it was against Chicago, actually. Um, But we ended up going six straight wins uh, at the end of the season. So after starting 0-9 and ending that season with six straight wins, it was incredible. I don't hold that as like a favorable memory because it was such a crazy year. Um, And there are other wins that are more important than that. But yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the first isn't always the most important. Yeah, yeah. yeah to me, yeah. it's just part of the journey, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Well, you are the first in a lot of different ways in, in leadership. What is the first thing you do in the morning of a game day? In the morning of a game day, um, I typically get up and I try to eat breakfast, but I'm typically nervous, uh, mm. which is crazy for people who think, well, you're not playing, so how are you? The the one routine that I always have is I listen to two songs on, on the bus ride to the game that morning. I listen to Bless Us All from the Muppets Christmas Carol, which is, I know it's weird, <laughs> and then Something Inside So Strong. Um, those are two songs that remind me of my family, that remind me of where I've come from. Um, Bless Us All was always what we'd play before my grandma's Sunday dinner every Sunday, um, we'd all stand up, hold hands as a family. And so it would just, uh, I'd look out the window and play those songs. Oh, I love it. I love that. Music love is powerful. Yes. It is. Yes. Well, this was an all incredible right. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Katie. That was awesome. It has been a pleasure to have you on. And could you please let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at katesowers 5 uh, that's really, I have a TikTok. I do not use it very much. Hey, unless hey, my, <laughs> I don't even know what my name is on there, but my twin sister is, I guess, you know, kind of TikTok famous. I'm a little bit, I have more followers than I should with my posts. I can't um, imagine if you posted it. <laughs> oh, no, she, she has posted everything for me. It's oh. pretty much something with her because uh, I still don't know how to use it. But it's fun to keep up with the, the young generation. You got to keep up with the Gen exactly. Z. Exactly. <laughs> you got to. That's how we reach them. Yep. They're keeping us fresh and vibrant. Yep. Thank you, Katie, so much. This was such a great conversation. And hopefully we'll get to chat again soon. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you again to Katie for such an amazing conversation. I'm going to be honest. Before I hopped on here... I was feeling kind of down. You know, I haven't been able to pursue very many things lately. And that just gave me like the inspiration that I needed and the hope that I needed. So seriously, thank you to Katie. Such a great conversation. I know there was so much that we covered, but Mon, what gave you chills? Because I feel like I still have some. Katie has a leadership quality about her that is so empathy led. Mm -hmm. And even with her coaching style and being player oriented really resonates with me. I wish, I wish when I was younger, I had a coach like Katie. Me too. And I wish that my coach said, hey, let's write ourselves a letter right. for five years from now or a coach that journaled yes. and understood how to be reflective and how to be goal oriented and process oriented. And just what she brings to the table as her full authentic self is truly, truly shaping the way that I see 
society respecting and appreciating women in sport. I'm just so motivated. I'm motivated to be a part of this change. Yeah. I know when she, she was talking about the narrative and this is a huge thing that I love talking about too, because I feel like it's a, a very pivotal point in especially women's journeys to discovering, you know, what it is that they love, how can they achieve success? Like all of these things kind of come back down to the narrative. What is the narrative? And that's what she was kind of referring to, you know, pay attention to the facts. What is the actual narrative that can change our lives and grow our confidence? And when she said that, I mean, I full body chills because that's so true. And knowing that she's translating that to other women and to the NFL, it's like, She's changing the world. And I I hope that she realizes that because this is huge. And the journaling, had I had that when I was younger, instead of just being yelled at and told that I need to lose weight, it would have changed everything for me. I, I, I think I would have found confidence and I would have found my passion for um, weightlifting. I would have found it a lot sooner. I really do believe that. So I'm so inspired yeah, right now. Yeah. And it's it just makes me feel good that, you know, young girls or even women right now mm-hmm. in our age range have someone to look up to in that way. Seriously, me too. All right, it is time for the good old gold check. Let's see where we're at with this. So for those of you who are listening, this is the portion of the show where Meg and I do a check-in on our goals. We think it's really important to express what it is that we're working on and to be able to manifest it through words and through sharing. So Meg, what are you working on this week? All right, well, I'm working on staying alive, staying alive. You, you know the song yeah okay good yeah yes I, yeah, I, i'm with your groove completely I, that's literally my goal this week um i'm recovering i'm doing a little bit better it's only in the morning now am i having some issues so right now it's just about again just like last time staying hydrated staying nourished and i'm gonna try and like do a little bit of walking just around the house maybe up the stairs and down the stairs a couple times just to see what that feels like again because i know that when i start working out um It probably won't be next week, but the week after, I have about another week and a half before I can start really lifting a little bit of weight again. Right now, it's just all body weight stuff. So yeah, that's pretty much my only goal this week is stay alive, stay hydrated, stay nourished, and move as much as I can inside my house. That's pretty much it. What about you? Well, for me, I've just had a sparring day for my charity fight, and we are well matched up. My opponent is a little bit taller than me, a little bit longer of a reach. And now it's just about savage mode. I've just made (sighs) my goal to show up to every session with the intention of getting better. I've had, uh, you know, my my coach is my boyfriend. So sometimes (laughs) it goes really well and it's really sweet. And other times I'm not the easiest to work with. (laughs) And so I've told myself if I can show up with that can-do attitude and with a humble nature and a hardworking nature, then I'm going to produce better results for myself and for the team around me. So I've just been focused on just going full savage, showing up and grinding it out. And if I am facing a lull or like the second half of my cycle, then I'm just dialing back the amount of time and making sure that I'm, you know, keeping good energy levels to honor good performance and not drain myself. So it's turn up time. I'm yes. really excited. We're weeks out and I've been sending prayers your way and oh, you. really just been thinking of you and all the moments that I've felt my energy dip or anything like that. I'm, I'm like, you know, well, Meg is fighting through something too and we're fighting through it together. So I know that, yeah. you know, 
you do the same for me and I feel that support. And I also love hearing from everyone when they reach out and tell me they enjoy watching my training videos or, you know, that they're doing their own things as Mm -hmm. far as trying out boxing or trying out lifting. So you guys definitely keep sharing with us. And thank you so much for keeping us in your thoughts. That is exactly what we need. Yes. And I'm just going to live vicariously through you. I've been like watching your stories and just following along. And it's like, it's nice for me to just be like, She is just out there. She's doing it. And I just get to live vicariously through. And it's the best feeling ever. It gives me hope. It gives me inspiration. And I don't know. It's just, it's so cool what you're doing. And one of these days, we're going to have a little boxing session together because I am so determined to try it out more than what I did. soon. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) Stay tuned for that one, guys. That'll be really fun. Yes, definitely. Yes. Yeah, that is how we united. So (laughs) recap, y'all. Right. Meg and I met at a summit through Under Armour. We were actually able to, you know, actually work out together Mm -hmm. through a bash boxing workout. Yes. So to take you through the workout that I created was like- And it was so fun. It was surreal. It was so crazy to be here now. I know. I know. And that I literally had like a panic attack the night before that day and almost left- And that day, after that boxing class, I actually went to my Instagram. I wrote this in my book, too. I went to my Instagram, and I put athlete for the first time in my bio. And it was like a monumental moment. So it's just, it's amazing that we get this moment together. So thank you, Mon. I love you. (laughs) You're so welcome. I love you back, girl. Mm. Thank you all so much for continuing to interact with us, listening in on our episodes. We can't wait to talk to you again next week. Absolutely. And that's it for this week's episode, but don't forget to join us next week when we talk about goals and benchmarks and how we can set ourselves up for success with creating realistic objectives for our training. Thanks for joining us, FitFam. If you liked what you heard on the show, subscribe for free or follow the show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review. Yes, please. Until next time, stay inspired, stay motivated, and remember to always sweat the details. Bye. Bye. If you liked what you heard on the show, subscribe for free or follow the show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review. Sweat the Details is a collaboration with Under Armour and iHeartRadio. Our show is hosted by me, Monica Jones. And me, Meg Boggs. Our executive producers are Jess Schreibstein, Giselle Lewis-Archbald, Molly Sosha, and Maya Cole. Our producers are Kelly Antol, Layla Kadrain, Emma Osborne, and Alejandra Arevalo. And our sound editor and engineer is Sarah Gibble-Laska. Keep up the latest news in women's fitness by following Under Armour at Under Armour Women and at Under Armour. 